0: I'm Carrie, And I'm Molly. This This is is The the Bigger Bigger Life Podcast. Podcast. i say it's probably a universal experience that the first six months of sobriety is super scary and super weird. It definitely was scary and weird for me.
1: Maybe you'll stay sober, maybe you won't. Maybe you'll, you know, it'll take you three times from now until then. And there's just so many ways to do it. You know, you don't have to do AA, you don't have to, you know... I think whatever is going to keep you from drinking if you feel like it's a problem um, in a healthy and sustainable way is what really fills my heart up, is that there's just so many solutions out there. Well, you know, as long as you're not filling your void in your your heart with unhealthy things, then I think you're going to be okay. Telling people that there's not just one way to do this thing is really relieving, because I remember someone telling me that in the beginning, that... Although the steps of AA are to give you relief and can start you on your path, it's not the way you have to stay on the path, if that makes any sense.
0: I kind of think now that people should just do what they're willing to do. You were willing to go to treatment to get sober and stay there and then get a sponsor and Mm -hmm. do AA. And I was willing to go to AA and get a sponsor and do the steps. Mm-hmm. And I actually wanted to go to treatment, but it didn't work out that way. That's another story. <laughs>
1: we'll, get, we'll get there. Yeah.
0: Um, but I mean, I know there are some people out there who just feel that for whatever reason that doesn't work for them, mm-hmm. but maybe they're willing to go to a different recovery meeting or, um, you know, go to a therapist or just try something different. Like mm-hmm. do what you're willing to do. And I, we're not saying that there's only one way to 100%. go about it.
1: But we do know mostly about what worked for us. Totally. I'm like, so grateful. Like speaking of sponsors, I'm really grateful for mine because if I were to have written out before we started doing the work, what this woman would have brought into my life and how she was going to help me, I would have sold myself so short because she had taught me, she just taught me so many amazing things and like opened my mind to so many beautiful things. And that's just kind of what I want you know, press on to others is yes. I am taking you through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, but your life doesn't stop here, and this isn't the one path that you need to stay on. The world is, you know, your oyster per se. <laughs> as cheesy as that sounds, <laughs> it's
0: totally true though. You know? And I mean, like
1: go out and like figure it out, you know, yeah. without having to like guzzle booze. But you know,
0: right? And you totally have done that for me as mm. my sponsor seriously, because when I first got sober and talked to you and asked you to sponsor me, I was just like, my life is gonna suck. It already does suck. I have no expectations. I just know I need to quit drinking. I need to, like, find a way to go through life without drinking. And that was pretty much my only expectation Mm -hmm. from the whole program of AA and sponsorship, And what I got by, you know, finding you and going through the steps was so much more than that. I mean, my life just opened up to, you know, how beautiful and how big it could really be. Mm -hmm. And we also obviously established a really strong bond and Mm -hmm. stayed in touch. And now we're doing a podcast together and (laughs) we both have like similar goals and aspirations in life. And it's just... So much more than I ever thought it could be,
1: which mm-hmm. is really amazing. Definitely. It's so crazy how, like, it just opens up a whole new door to all of these new experiences. But it really is shitty in the beginning. Yeah. You know? Going
0: like, back it's to... It's so
1: fucking shitty in the beginning. The
0: first six months. Oh, man. It's yeah. just such a weird time. It is. I just remember that I felt like recovery and... A and the steps and like figuring out how to make my life less fucked up. What <laughs> <laughs> that was like all I could think about. Yeah. It just takes over your brain. I mean, maybe not for everyone, but for me, it definitely no, it did.
1: Definitely did for me too. Yeah. I mean,
0: I, yeah. I just couldn't I couldn't remember what it was like to have a life where I didn't like constantly think about being in recovery and Mm -hmm. I felt like my I would always have that at the forefront of my brain and it was just so weird
1: yeah definitely I remember I mean I got sober at 20 so I remember I turned 21 at my second treatment center that I went to and I was like oh my gosh like my life is seriously over I'm 20 years old and I ran to the wheels fell off this fast (laughs) like I must really I must really suck (laughs) and it was really, really hard, you know, and it's like that for any age, though, you know, like, yeah, I was 20, but it can be like that at any age. I don't know, I just remember feeling like a lot of failure. How come everyone else can drink so much more than I than I can or how I as I thought, or how, how come people can manage their drugs and still get like their master's degree and I have to like land myself in treatment? I just remember just feeling like such a failure that I couldn't prioritize my drug use better and like looking back I realized how sick that was. That you couldn't
0: manage it. (laughs) Yeah that
1: I couldn't manage it. Yeah. I'm so grateful that I couldn't but it was really shitty in the beginning.
0: I felt the same way I think. I just felt so bad about myself that I had run out of ways to manage my drinking and my alcoholism Mm -hmm. because it seemed like everyone else had a handle on it and everyone else could like get drunk and have fun and like do drugs at festivals and have fun and Mm. then, like, keep continuing on with succeeding in the rest of their life. And that was, like, what I saw through my kind of drunken haze. Mm -hmm. And I was really jealous of all of those people that I had to quit and they could all keep going. Totally. And I think eventually my perception of that shifted, but it did take time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I... The first thing I thought was I was going to lose all my friends, and I did lose a lot. I'm not going to lie. I lost a lot of friends, but it was for the best because Mm -hmm. they were just kind of like superficial, you know, surface level friends. Um, And then the ones that I still have are the ones that are my real true, true friends. But I remember that's kind of what really sucked was I thought all these party people were my friends and... You take alcohol away from the relationship, and then all of a sudden, you're not really you don't have much in common with these people anymore. And you're like, oh shit, all my friends party, and what am I gonna do?
0: Yeah, and it same. was it was
1: rough, you know. A lot of my relationships were built around partying, so when you take all the partying out of it, it's like, well, what can you really do? Mm-hmm. Especially if that's what they're always doing too. You like them as people, and it's no judgment to them whatsoever. But it's like. You wanna to go to lunch? Oh no, sorry, like I'm at the bar or I'm at a winery or I'm beer tasting in Mexico or something super bougie. Yeah. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs>
0: yeah, I used to do all those things. Nowadays, yeah, it's like you wanna to go to the beach, you wanna to go to yoga, mm-hmm. you wanna go have breakfast like super early or go for a hike. Yeah, definitely and there's definitely people that don't wanna do those things, so we're not really friends anymore.
1: Yeah. Or they're, like, hungover, and they're, like, you wake up before 10 a.m. <laughs> it's, right. like, half the day.
0: <laughs> I mean, I definitely lost a lot of friends also, but it was pretty much the same. Like, I'd lost the friends that were just party friends, mm-hmm. and I kept the friends that were real friends, and some of my real best friends to this day are people that I used to drink a lot with. Mm-hmm. The difference, I guess, is that we just actually had established a bond that was more than just drinking somehow. So when I got sober, I felt like I could be honest with them and I had to tell them the truth about what was happening in my life if Mm -hmm. I wanted to keep them as my friends. Totally. And of course they were super supportive and now we still hang out a lot and they're like really proud of me and my sobriety. And I think that because we're all getting older, they're kind of like wrapping up some of their partying behaviors
1: these days
0: also (laughs) yeah
1: yeah I'm really glad that you said that because I have a few best friends that they drink and they you know know that I'm sober obviously but they're like so okay with it and I'm really glad and they're just like super supportive and proud of me and just like happy and and just grateful that our life and our friendships didn't revolve around alcohol and those relationships I guess my point is the real ones will stick around you mm-hmm. know and the ones that really weren't meant to be in your life in the first place probably won't and that's okay yeah but it feels like the world is like you're losing the world at your fingertips
0: mm-hmm. you know it feels shitty it yeah. really sucks for a while <laughs> and I think it's really important to try to make new sober friends yeah which is also hard
1: (laughs) yeah like oh my gosh I remember my sponsor told me to like start giving people my phone number and like asked me to like reach out to people and go to lunch and I'm like it just makes me cringe to this day like here I am with like severe social anxiety I haven't been socializing with people the past like six years without being fucked up and now she wants me to like go to like this girl's day dinner (laughs) oh it makes me cringe but i'm so glad that i did do it you know i'm really glad i would put myself out there but it was so uncomfortable I would like be glued to my phone or I would just like go to the bathroom every 10 seconds and I'd be like wow I'm probably coming off as like really tweakerish and weird. <laughs> but like I just needed to like prep myself.
0: Yeah. Good for you for doing it though. Yeah. I feel like I still struggle with that. Anytime I do go to meetings you know how they say like the meeting before the meeting.
1: I love when... you doing quotes. <laughs> yeah, <That's> so <laughs> true. I'm doing air quotes right now. <laughs> the meeting, but it's so true though. Like, like the, the fellowship
0: for the meeting gives me so much anxiety. Oh god, that I will just like purposely be late and like run in and sit down so yeah. that I don't have to like be weird and talk to people. No, totally outside. Yeah,
1: unless it's like a close friend or like I have someone that I know that's taking time and I want to like give them my love for the most part, I try to just grab the coffee and, like, be seated. I, yeah.
0: I feel like I come off as a bitch for being like that, but really, I'm just shy.
1: Totally. You're not a bitch at all. And, and I, I don't I'm the smoke same cigarettes. Yeah. And
0: a lot of the meetings you go to, you know, a lot of that socializing involves a lot of cigarette smoke, which...
1: I don't know, though. I still get, like, really bad anxiety, even if I am socializing. I think it's really good to fellowship and meet new people and you know just create bonds but I'm not really for like performing and like overly exerting myself into these social situations that honestly make me feel uncomfortable anyway mm-hmm. you know yeah so that's small
0: talk that I was like a lot of learning
1: the first six months too was just mm-hmm. kind of what do I like and what don't I like and the things that I was willing to be uncomfortable about and the things that like I wasn't willing to be uncomfortable about because I was protecting my, like, soul, per se, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, totally. Like, some things I think it's important to be uncomfortable about because it keeps us on our toes, and it's and there's always, you know, something beautiful on the other end of it. But at the same time, I'm not going to, like throw myself <laughs> through a girl's day that's just gonna be, have me be, like, biting my fingernails off all day. That sounds horrible. Like, I'm cringing as I speak, you know, that just sounds awful, right. you know? So I'm not gonna, like, force myself to do that, just be like, oh, recovery, I
0: think you know? there's an acceptable level of uncomfortability to go to, if right. that makes any sense. Like, it did take a while for me to figure out how to make sober friends, but eventually what worked for me was not, like, the awkward small talk with whoever happened to be there. It was, like, just kind of, you know, listening in meetings to what people Mm -hmm. said and, like, trying to identify if some other woman was someone who I think that I would be friends with in real life. Because you kind of get a vibe, you know, like, you can tell, like, who your people are. Sure. And I just would force myself to put myself out there sometimes with someone who said something that I really related to and then we would like get a coffee but, I mean, I honestly haven't even done that that many times. <laughs> like, nowadays I just have a small group of friends. Totally. And I'm I was, okay with
1: that. I was just going to say, like, even in the first six months, I really wasn't worried about making friends. Like, they kind of all gravitated towards me, and, like, it just kind of flowed at ease. Mm-hmm. And But that wasn't on my mind, like, was like, yeah, I'm sober. Like, I need to immediately make sober friends. Because, honestly, I was just like trying to hold on to my seat and I was just trying to save my fucking life yeah so that all kind of came to you know so
0: I it kind of sounded like maybe we're both saying a little bit like just deal with the loneliness of the first six months a little bit
1: yeah, yeah. definitely
0: so what changes with your family in your experience when you get sober
1: oh my gosh like everything and nothing at the same time <laughs> Does that make, yeah, any, does that make does. any sense? They don't change. Because they don't as change. As much as
0: you want them to. Yeah, which
1: <laughs> is like what you think will happen. Like I've confided in you and I've given you my my amends. Can you like be a better person now? <laughs> right. um, everything kind of does at the same time because we change. So the way you view the relationship does, you know, transform into something different, if that makes sense. However, at the same time, I think for me, I had to learn not to have expectations that because I was doing the work and because I was changing that, my family's behaviors weren't going to change. And I'm really close with my family, very open. I do think that it's just cringy for anyone to get sober and then have to deal with family because I'm the only one in my family that's, or I take that back. My brother's like kind of sober. He smokes weed, but he, you know, it's sober for him. And I'm like all about that because it works for him. But he hasn't had alcohol in so long. And my cousin is well on his way of getting there. But I was definitely the first one in my family to to get sober, and it was weird at first. I guess the point I'm trying to get at is when I would go to family functions, they felt weird drinking around me. And I don't know if you ever experienced this, but it's like, if people know that you're sober and that you're not drinking and then they're drinking and then they act different because they're drinking and it's so fucking (laughs) annoying because I'm like don't do that. Right. Treat me like a normal person. Right. I'm good, you know? I'm fucking good, dude. You know, I'm just not drinking. Yeah. Don't make it a big deal, but like, they do.
0: When people apologize to you for like oh, mentioning that something is the about worst. drinking or or like drinking. they'll pour themselves like
1: a bottle like like you know, a shot of scotch and then they'll look at you and be like, sorry and it's like, <laughs> No, you're not. <laughs> like don't
0: say sorry, dude. Like you do yeah. you. It's like not. I'm sorry that
1: you feel the need to say sorry. Right. I mean, and I know that they have really good intentions. They have my best interest, and it's because they love me and they want me to be comfortable, but it made me really uncomfortable, mm-hmm. so. I mean... But your family's kind of far away, so... Yeah, that's well... That's probably a blessing and... <laughs> it is.
0: I mean, my family's far away, like, across the country, and I was 29 when I got sober, so I had been living far away from them for a long time. And, I mean, that kind of always has been a blessing for us, I think, because... Sorry, I'm... mom
1: and dad, if you're listening.
0: Just kidding. <laughs> Right. I mean, they they know this. Like, we're not, like, super close. Like, I don't think I'm as close with my family as you are with yours. Mm-hmm. And we kind of get along better when we, like, check in from a distance and only see each other, like, a couple times a year. Because everyone's kind of, like, super happy to see each other because we don't see each other that much. <laughs> You know, if that makes any sense. That's how me
1: and my brother are, Um,
0: 100%. It was still super weird because my parents actually don't drink at all. They never have really, like, not in my lifetime. And it's for religious reasons. They're very conservative. So I had been, like, hiding my drinking ever since I started. I started hiding stuff from my parents when I was, like, in high school. Just normal teenage, you know, I'm Mm going to go hang out with my boyfriend type of stuff. Totally. And so I had had a dishonest relationship with them for, like, 15 years. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Not
1: that long of a time. You know, just, just a couple years. Right. And, like,
0: I would just portray this image of, like, everything's fine. My life is going great. You know, we weren't that close. And when I got sober, all of a sudden, I had to be honest with them about, like, this is what's happening. Actually, for many years, I've been struggling with this and Mm -hmm. hiding it from you, and now I'm being honest, and this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so, it was super weird just to, like, share all that was weird and vulnerable, and then after that, it just really changed the dynamic of things because, okay, now we know that this is a problem now that they kind of felt the need to check in on me all the time, totally, which is awkward. Yeah. And they just weren't used to me being honest about stuff
1: in my life. So like, you know how to handle it.
0: And it definitely changed their image of me, you know, like they didn't think that I was some like perfect angel or anything before that. But then after I got sober and started talking about it more openly, it definitely changed their image of who I was Mm -hmm. for all this time while I was trying to only show them, like, the good side.
1: Mm -hmm. I think it's important that you touched on that, too, because I definitely have gotten more open about sharing my story on social media and just, like, with family members, it's not really a big deal for me, but sometimes when I'm sharing, I realize that maybe I didn't let my mom know that one quite yet first and me and my mom are super close and I she knows pretty much everything about my about my story about my life but there are just those few things you probably don't share with your mom and you know I'll be talking with a cousin and it'll kind of slip out my mom will look at me like you didn't tell me that part like oh shit (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah so I get what you're saying it's like you know they see us as like these their little daughters and
0: yeah I think we're still kind of navigating through it with my family because I've only been sober for two years so Mm -hmm. I mean I've only seen my parents like two times in two years Mm -hmm. so every time we see each other it's kind of like I'm in this new phase of my recovery or whatever Mm -hmm. and you know your family they say your family knows how to push all your buttons because they're the ones that installed them.
1: (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yes. Oh my god. So
0: I feel like To be super honest, the hardest part of my sobriety is dealing with my family. It's hard to go back to people who, like, know you from your whole entire life. No, yeah, I
1: think it's important to talk about family. It's like, you know, me and my brother, we fight like cats and dogs like we did when, you know, I was five and he was seven, you know. It's like Mm -hmm. nothing has changed except we're just more, like, vicious with the words that we say. Right. But we love each other, but we just really know how to get under one another's skin. Mm -hmm. And he knows what bothers me, and I know what bothers him to a T. And so you best believe we're going to be shooting that stuff back and forth. It doesn't matter if we're at a funeral or, like, I'm getting married, we're fighting, you know? It's (laughs) like... Yeah. We actually held it together at my grandma's funeral and at my wedding. But any other day, it was pretty bad.
0: Yeah, it's like when I'm around my family, my sister and I kind of push each other's buttons a lot, too. And it's, like, I just revert back to all my old habits. You know, I'm not very zen when I'm around them, usually. It kind yeah. of, like, brings out all the old irritations. And I just feel like I've struggled to be my best self when
1: I'm with my family. <laughs> I don't know why but, I'm laughing. It's not fair. I mean, yeah. it's, I think it's true for everyone. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, not really for me <laughs> But I am really close with my family. And I do think that the differences is they're from... I'm I'm in San Diego. I'm from San Diego. They're only, like, 20 minutes away. So even if I really wanted to keep secrets, it'd be very difficult because most of my friends, like, run into my mom. Or they're, like, friends with her, like, on social media. Or they'll even, like, text my mom and ask her how she's doing, you know, even if they haven't seen me in a while. So, like, my family is kind of like my friend's family. And it's just this big huge community so I kind of was forced to just be open and honest about my shit from the beginning Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that it's still not cringy and uncomfortable sometimes yeah you know I am the only sober person in my family and so I don't really have anyone to like buddy up with other than you know my husband but there's no one in my family everyone's getting fucked up at family you know situations and we're all playing like charades at the end of the night and I'm, like, wondering if everyone should be driving home. Right. And I'm, like, sober and it's awkward because I'm, like, pulling out and I'm, like, should I be everyone's Uber tonight? Or as uncomfortable as it gets for me, it's not really, like, relationship-wise stuff, but it is situational. I sometimes worry, you know, should I wait for everyone to drive off safely or is that, should I, like, offer a ride, you know? Yeah. It's, like, where do you draw the line of, like, being responsible and then letting your family do what they've always done right it's like I don't know I guess there's sometimes like a responsibility at being the only sober one because you're coherent and Mm
0: -hmm. you're not
1: like coated with alcohol
0: I think I'm grateful to be like the only well I'm not the only sober one in my family but I'm the only one who's in recovery Mm -hmm. because my parents are just sober because they never really drank much in That's life so fo- at all. That's
1: so foreign know, to me. it's so
0: weird nowadays, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it
1: just, I mean, I think it's good, but yeah. it's just so foreign, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't wait to try that stuff. Right.
0: I mean, I know that, like, I'm also the oldest of, I'm the oldest child in my family, and I'm the oldest of all my cousins, and we don't have, like, a really big family, but I'm happy to be sober in mm-hmm. case, like, anyone down the line ends up having similar issues, you know. I'm sober and I'm open about my sobriety and I would be happy if anyone were to come to me if they were struggling with 100%. something similar, which you know, like with statistics in this country for addiction, it could happen. So I guess I'm just being that loud sober person in my family that's there so I know so that other, you know, siblings and cousins would know that they could talk to me about it whereas my parents don't really have any, like, experience in this area Totally. <laughs> at all. Did you feel a lot of guilt and, like, you had to do a lot of cleaning up some of the wreckage from your addiction
1: in the first six months? I felt, like, super overwhelmed, but I went to treatment where they really helped you guide through it step by step, and so treatment was really awesome for me because I didn't feel like I had to deal with all of this shit on my own, And I was like walking with it with other women who also had fucked up too. And you know, we all had like similar sobriety dates and we're like in it together. And I always had like a counselor to confide in, but I know not everyone has that opportunity. And so nonetheless, even with all the help in the world, I felt super overwhelmed. Like it took a village for me, but you know, at the end of the day, it was my wrongdoing and it was my life and it was my wreckage that I had created and I had to be the one to fix it no counselor or all these women that I was surrounded by with could clean that up for me. Like I had to be the one to do it. And I think that's what was the most painful was you have the help, but you ultimately have to be the one to do it. And that's really scary. You know, you want like someone to go in with you and like tackle these things. And it's like, no, Molly, I can't go into court with you. Or, you know, like I can't pay your ticket for you. It's $500. (laughs) But it was, it was really overwhelming. And I think what really helped for me was I took it a step at a time and I started with the things that I could do in the moment, you know, like I put off all the financial stuff, you know, on the back burner because they were already sitting in collections. So it wasn't like they were really going to go anywhere or build up. So, you know, I had to like figure out my credit score later, but I just did the things that I knew I could do then and and there and then focus on what could come later and be patient that they would be worked out i also just like put a lot of faith into what i could do and what you know the universe would kind of help me with i also like drank all the shit away and like did a bunch of drugs to like kind of forget about it and like put in the back of my head so then when you get sober all of this stuff comes you know to the forefront of your brain and you're like oh my gosh like i actually have so much shit i have to clean up
0: yeah. You know,
1: and like that was what was so overwhelming was where do I even start,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it's it's tricky. Like, well, do I pay all these things off now, or depending on what you need to clean up, and it was it was messy. I'm not gonna lie, it was messy, but you just kind of go through it step by step. What about you?
0: It was super overwhelming for sure. Mm-hmm. I felt super guilty totally for everything, and I think sometimes the feeling of guilt would get stronger and sometimes it would go away a little bit and then it would hit me again and it kind of would like come in waves like that Mm -hmm. because the more time I got sober, sometimes the more clarity I would have Mm
1: -hmm. on a past
0: situation and I started to realize, you know, some things I had done wrong or like friendships that had ended badly that actually some of the guilt maybe was on me, whereas before Mm -hmm. I had never admitted stuff like that. It was very overwhelming and very intense. I mean, I lost all my camera equipment and I was like, "Oh my god, how do I replace all this stuff and rebuild my business and not mm-hmm. disappoint clients and how all much of money that? do
1: you think you lost?"
0: Oh man. Probably $10,000. Yeah. At least. Totally. Oh, it still makes me cringe to think mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. <laughs> and to say that number.
1: Yeah. Definitely. Uh, but, I think that's kind of good, though. Like, it shows that you're, you know, you don't, you didn't forget to the point where, like, you're just like, oh, you know, it was only 10 gram. Like, right. I got over it. You know? Yeah. Like, it's it's a sensitive topic. Yeah, and it probably always will be.
0: Probably always will be you sensitive. Know? But it doesn't have to, like, make me feel super depressed like it used to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's in the past, mm-hmm. thankfully. For me, cleaning all that stuff up, I just dealt with the things that I had to deal with immediately which was kind of a lot because I didn't go to treatment. I had messed up at two of my jobs in one weekend and I had to deal with that right away. You know, I was going to lose my job if I didn't. Mm -hmm. And luckily once I told the truth to my boss, they were super cool about it and forgiving and understanding. And so I just kind of had to rip the band-aid off with telling them Mm -hmm. and then facing going back into work a few days later that was hard and embarrassing and just made me feel super silly and just weird and out of place by being sober Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I got through that and then everything else that I could take more slowly, I just took it more slowly, like step by step, like you were saying, Mm -hmm. and, you know, working with you as a sponsor and working through the steps helps you kind of manage that process Mm -hmm. and go through it bit by bit in order to not be too overwhelmed Mm -hmm. and try to like deal with the guilt and learn how to forgive yourself also I mean that's a big part of cleaning up wreckage
1: god I love this I love this episode that we're doing because it really takes me back to how I was feeling at Mm -hmm. that moment like it really was so overwhelming and I don't ever forget where I've come from but you know as time goes on I don't think about it as much of all the shit I had to clean up Mm -hmm. and I really had driven myself down a huge huge hole and it's really possible to get out of it it really is I think it's it really is just all about taking it you know in piecemeal it's just starting with the things that you can do now like I couldn't pay back everything right away and I was okay with that even though it kept me up at night some nights like all of a sudden, like, I've had all this debt and it never bothered me and I was doing drugs and then all of a sudden I get sober and I'm like, I have to pay these people back. I have to pay these people back. (laughs) But it's like, the fact of the matter is, it it can wait for a little bit.
0: Well, when I was drinking, I would tend to, like, go on benders where I would drink really hard for a few days and then neglect my responsibilities Mm -hmm. or, you know, let my house get messy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I would stop and feel really guilty and try to clean everything up and try to fix everything and try to, like, hurry up and get all my work done. And I was okay at doing that sometimes. Once I actually stopped drinking for good, I actually began to be more and more capable of cleaning things up and not recreating all the messes that that. I was constantly recreating in my addiction.
1: Yeah, I love that. It's so true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was no need to, like, you know frantically clean up the mess because you weren't making the mess anymore
0: exactly you know so it is doable because you're you're not continuing all those old patterns so if you just face it bit by bit it becomes doable what would you recommend people do when they're newly sober in the first six months if they feel like they just have time and they don't know what to do with themselves and they're lonely and they lost some friends and what else can they do
1: What I did was I went to a lot of meetings. I would go to like four or five meetings a day. And as soon as the meeting would get out, I would usually wait a little bit, but just go right to the next meeting. I really did live and breathe AA in the beginning. And that's just my personal experience. There's a lot you can do. I also did a lot of prayer and meditation, um, which was really hard in the beginning because I I still have a difficult time to quieting the mind. Um, and then I also hung out with just sober people that I had met, even though it was really uncomfortable. We would just, you know, go for a walk or go out to eat or just do something where I wasn't glorifying alcohol. We would go out to eat a lot. We would do like these big dinners with like big groups of people and it kind of just kept your nights on the weekends preoccupied and drink a shit ton of coffee, <laughs> <laughs> <Me
0: too. laughs> you know, like so
1: much coffee. That's just kind of what I did. And I think what I also really did in the beginning that helped me was I really listened to what people had to say. And I always loved to be the one to, like, get defensive and talk. And I loved to be the one that would tell the story. And for once, it was just really nice to hear what people had to say. And that really helped me shutting my mouth up and listening. I would soak it up and it was, like, almost addicting. Like, Mm -hmm. I wanted to keep going back for more and, like, hearing what more people had to say. I would grab onto people's words and I'd be like, wow, like I really resonate with that. I want to go to another meeting and see like what gem I can pull out there.
0: I think listening to people became different once I had a clear head mm-hmm. because I found myself able to be more mindful and actually listen when people were talking instead of just starting to think of like my response or the next thing that I wanted to say right away not just in meetings, but also at work and other places. I remember in early sobriety having moments where someone was talking to me at work and I just felt actually really engaged and present with them for the first time in, like, years. I know. And it was really cool and different.
1: I remember the first job I got in sobriety, I worked at a yogurt shop. It was called Yogurt on the Rocks. And I remember a customer was just kind of venting to me about their life. I don't really even remember what it was. And I was just so tuned into their, to their life. When they left, I was like, oh my gosh, I just spent 15 minutes listening to this woman. And I was really interested in what she had to say. You know, I wasn't like worried about drinking or like needing to like, you know, stop my fingers and like hurry it up or like cancel just say like, hey, I can't talk anymore. You know, I really wanted to listen. Yeah, I think it definitely changes when you're not, And so much selfish behavior and, like, thinking about what you're going to be drinking next, which wasn't anything non-alcoholic.
0: Right. (laughs) So. (laughs) I also just tried to keep myself busy with other activities. I really got more into my yoga practice. Mm -hmm. And I had always gone to yoga even, like, through my addiction. But I started actually, like, taking some of the extra workshops that my studio had And just hanging around there more because I wasn't spending all my time, like, hanging out late after work, you know, getting wasted with my coworkers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I had more time for a lot of other stuff. Mm -hmm. And I started going on some backpacking trips. One of my only, like, sober friends at the beginning, like, my first real sober friend, she was always a hiking buddy. But we would always, like, hike and drink. And we would, like, carry bottles of wine with us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when we would go on hikes.
1: So glamorous. Yes,
0: it was so glamorous. And then she got sober before I did. So when I had like two months sober, I think, she super nicely took me on my first big backpacking trip. So we hiked out into the backcountry in Sequoia National Park and it was just the two of us and we like didn't that. even see anyone else. And it was like super cold and snowy, which was different and awesome being mm-hmm. from SoCal. And we were out in this beautiful nature, just like relaxing and taking pictures. And we were talking, obviously, a ton about recovery because I was so new and it was all I could think about. But she was awesome to hang out with. And I got really into doing more long hikes and backpacking trips because I found it really meditative and really therapeutic just being out in nature. And I had all this time and mental capability to actually like plan these trips. And I had more money eventually to, like, get some new camping gear. And I got super into being, you know, even more in the outdoors.
1: Yeah, it all kind of just kind of flowed naturally. I, like, got a commitment at a meeting and um, we went camping a lot, actually, my first six months. I think me and my now husband went camping... A few times and we would go on like little trips like Palm Springs and we would we went to Yosemite my first year and that really helped was traveling and I thought that traveling would be super triggering and I'd want to like go to the local brewery or do this but I was so engaged just with being with the people I was with and wanting to see the sites that for the most part I didn't even really think about alcohol mm-hmm. and I was really surprised by that because a lot of my patients an early sobriety, they like, oh, I have this trip coming up, and I'm really scared because I'll have like six months, only six months, then. And I always tell them to go for it because I never want anyone to like say no to something unless they really feel uncomfortable about it. But ever say no to going to travel because they're feel for they're fearful of the- that they're going to drink because I know I was and I went ahead and did it anyway and I had the best experience ever. You know, and I rarely ever even thought about alcohol. Yeah. So I always encourage people to go camping or, you know, probably not go hang out at wineries, you know, like if we are going to like Napa, but see the sights.
0: Yeah. I think I told you that because I had a mm-hmm. trip that I booked before I quit drinking that came up for me when I had five months sober. Mm-hmm. And it was, I was a little worried about it at first, but it ended up fine. But yeah, just try new things. Like, if it's something that doesn't have a high likelihood of leading you to relapse or do something stupid, I would say go try it. Try new things and put yourself out there.
1: Totally. Is there anything you want to tell people about what you're doing and a way for people to follow you on social media platforms?
0: You can find my website, first of all, at biggerlifeadventures.com. And then on Instagram and Facebook, it's the same thing. Just search Bigger Life Adventures. So we are doing yoga and adventure travel experiences for people in recovery. Anyone's welcome, but we really appreciate helping people in sobriety and recovery travel to amazing places.
1: Yeah, and if anyone wants to follow me on Instagram or Facebook... My name is Molly J as in Jane Griffiths. Griffiths is spelled G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H-S. And my name on Facebook is also Molly Griffiths. And I just post lots of stuff about recovery and what I'm doing with my life and Mm -hmm. awesome quotes. So if you are interested in any of those things, feel free to give me a follow. Alright, I think that's it. Bye. Bye.